while you're finding in your Bibles the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, and I'm assuming properly so that you all have a Bible with you. In case you don't, why don't you move over and sit close to somebody you don't like and use theirs with them, all right? Deuteronomy 6, and while you're finding that, I'm going to take a few personal moments and give my expression of thanks for the joy of being with you all today and for the joy of sharing even last evening with you. I appreciate the privilege of fellowship with Pastor Van and his wife, Janet. What a delight they are. If you have not yet come to thank the Lord for a dedicated servant family like that, uh, you're way behind time. You really need to catch up and just thank the Lord for I do travel in quite a few different churches, uh, different churches about every Sunday now. And, uh, and when I got here yesterday and started sensing the beauty and the power of the Spirit of God in this fellowship, and then when I gathered with you last night for those who got out and enjoyed the time together at the uh, picnic pavilion in the woods, uh, I just really sensed the power of God's Spirit in this fellowship, and I thank God for it. I thank God for you, and I thank God for the way that you are allowing Him to work in your life. I don't see that everywhere I go. The church in America, or the so-called church in America, is in a lot of trouble. And there are some foundational reasons for that, but I am grateful that you didn't pay any attention to those foundational reasons, and you just kept on charging for the Lord and you're enjoying that life. And the fellowship of love and the spirit that I have sensed here has uh, done something for me. And I'm going to tell you what it's done for me. And I'm going to use a couple of Bible phrases. They come out of the book of Corinthians. And number one, it has ignited my spirit of joy when I see a church that is... Now listen to this. This is a Bible phrase. You may use it because uh, it's right there for all of us. Here it is. You are addicted to ministry. And that's a good kind of addiction. In case you've got some bad addictions that you're trying to get rid of, get the new one. Addicted to ministry. You can replace a lot of trash with a good statement like being addicted to ministry. And I just really appreciate it. I was telling somebody after the morning service that I wish a thousand pastors could visit this church and sit under Pastor Van and Janet and just watch the beauty of ministry taking place. And in case you haven't caught on to that, there's a place for you in that kind of group. And then there's another phrase that I like. Now, let me try to remember what it is. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, in the book of the Corinthians, and that's in the Bible, the Bible uses the phrase, you have refreshed my spirit. And if any of you need a spirit refreshed, just open your eyes, listen in with your ears, and watch what's going on here. And if you don't get refreshed, you need something far more like a bath or something. I don't know what it would be, but you can get your spirit refreshed here, and I want to thank you for refreshing mine. Now, I must hurry to Deuteronomy 6, and if you'll find your Bible, you've got it there. I gave you a little bit of warning on uh, getting it ready. I love anniversary services at a time in church. I, uh, you have already caught on to the value and the meaning of anniversaries. And if you have it, let me give you a threefold view of what an anniversary ought to do for you. It ought to do it when you come to your wedding anniversary, man, catch on to this one, all right? But in a church anniversary, there are some other aspects of understanding 
why we have celebrations at anniversaries. Number one, it's to take a look at the past and learn from it. So we deal with the past at an anniversary. 19 years. Now, I don't know whether the Lord blessed you every one of those years, but I'll tell you this, you put them all together and he's poured it out on you. And so you look back over those 19 and that's called the past. There are things from which you may learn. There are things that may cause you to laugh and some may cause you to cry, but looking at the past and an anniversary says, look at the past. You've got 19 years behind you. And I would really love to be around when you celebrate your 50th anniversary. Brother, would you invite me back then? Uh, I would only be 110 years old, I think, at that time. So thank you. I'll put it on my... So you look at the past. Number two, as you evaluate and learn from the past, you look at the present. And that's what we're going to be doing this weekend and already started with that fantastic service of testimonies last night. Now, the past is 19 years. The present is confined to right now. Doesn't matter what hour it is, it's confined to right now. But then another one, and I want to deal with this one today, as we learn in the present, we also, at an anniversary time, prepare for the future. Got it? What was this one over here? Learning from the... Preparing in the... And looking forward to the... And all of those make up a part of our life. And I want to tell you, the Bible gives us some valuable aspects on how to do all of those things. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I begin with verse 3, if you will. Hear therefore, O Israel. Now last night, down in the woods, while some of you were really having fun and I was having a cold spell... I got chilly. I panicked when it drops to 70 degrees, and you can imagine what I was doing last. And your pastor was so kind, he saw my dilemma of wondering if I was going to live through the hour, and he came, he came to me with three different jackets, and I turned down every one of them, and I will forever regret that van. <laughs> but last night while we were down there, we had a little couple of phrases, and some of you were there, so help me remind us all of them. The Bible is worth knowing, in case most of you weren't there last night, obviously, or either you went home and forgot everything that was said, the Bible is worth knowing because the Bible is worth doing. Now look at verse 3, if you will. Here, therefore, by the way, I speak Southern. English is my second language. If you have any problem with that, uh, you just have to listen carefully. Here, therefore, saith the Lord. Now what is that? That's knowing, listening to God. You've got a lot of options today. The world is crowded with the flow of information. But my Bible brings me back to this and says to me, Bob Alderman, listen to God. Bible is worth knowing. Hear, O Israel. First part of verse 3. And observe to what? You may go ahead and say it, by the way. I know you don't talk back to Van, but I'm different. I can take it, all right? Uh, the Bible is worth knowing because the Bible is worth doing. And look at that little phrase in verse 3. Hear therefore, Israel, and observe to do. Now what I want to share with you today is something about the matter of our taking a look into the future. Last night when we were down eating the hot dogs and every, all, all those other good things that went with it, I walked away from the crowd a little bit, walked up the hill. There's a little hill on the other side of the pavilion. 
stood up there by myself and just watched a very beautiful scene. I saw the same thing this morning when all of those children came down and lined up here and joined the adults in that choir. I saw that scenery last night of your future. And I stood there and I thank God for it. And I looked at all of those children. Then I looked around to see, with all these children, there must be some young adults around here young enough to still have kids. <laughs> Found a lot of you. A lot of future. Now, my question is this, and I'm going to raise a question out of a part of the Deuteronomy 6 text. My question is this. Are we using the present to prepare for the future that causes something to happen? And what I want you to look at is this. In verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, let's settle that, and I'm not going to take time to, uh, to, to detail all of that for you. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God. Now, that's not an option. That's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. You shall love the Lord. You say, God doesn't have a right to demand that I love you. He, he's got the right, and he gives you the responsibility to listen to him and obey him. You shall love the Lord your God with, fill in that word, all of your heart. Now, let me ask you a question. If you love the Lord with all of your heart, how much of your heart do you have left to love anything else with? None. Isn't that amazing? God protected his right to be loved by us by saying, I want it all. I want all of your heart. Look on down all of your soul. That's your mind, your body, your emotion, your will. And then with all of your strength, that's the body part, all of your might. And God loved me so much, loves you so much, that he said, I want you to have the best of life, and therefore I'm going to give you an order, because I love you so much, that you love me with all of your heart. I don't want you to take any part of your heart to love anything else, because if you do, you're going to get a, you're going to get a scam. You, you're, going to be, you're going to be cheated. Now let's go on down to verse 6, if you will. These words, would, and watch this radical kind of nature of God. These words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. Now we get even more radical, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And I want to tell you something about verse 7. That takes up every minute of your life. So God starts out with this radical instruction. Love me with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your soul. I'm not going to let you get by with saving any part of your heart to love anything else. And then in verse 7, he says, now love me all the time. When you lie down and when you rise up. Well, you know, basically... You either are rising up or lying down, and that takes up about all the time. And then it just goes on one or the other. It just goes, and God is getting more narrow-minded, bullheaded, right? I shouldn't have said bullheaded. I use that only for humans. But God is getting narrow-minded. He's getting radical. And he's saying, watch what I'm telling you to do. I don't know about you, but I love a God who loves me enough to say, Alderman, don't get cheated by loving anything else other than me. Do you love him enough to look at that? Now, that means that we've got some radical, if the people obeyed, radical mamas, radical daddies, radical grandparents, 
but something good comes out of all of that. And that's what I'm prompted to talk about with all those children I saw last night because those children have a vital part of your future. Now, and I'm not thinking in the traditional way we'll lay at the church of the morning. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about how those children are going to challenge my generation and your generation in the proper sense of the word. Uh, verse 8, 9, 10, all the way down through verse 19 are good verses. I'm not going to take time with those. Go to verse 20, if you will. Because with all of that radical nature of Christian life, love, and teaching that we just read about, here's what's going to happen. Verse 20. And when your son asks you in time to come, and the son says this, Daddy, Granddaddy, Mama, Grandmama, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? That's a powerful statement. That means that in the future, those kids that were up here today and some of you yet younger adults or teenagers or collegians or whatever, you have a right if your mom and your dad walk with God. You have a right to go back to him and say, listen, mom and dad, I, need to, I, gotta, I, I have a question. I need an answer right now. When I was growing up, you had a Bible in your hand. You had a prayer on your lips. You had a smile on your face. You had a joy in your heart. You had church in your gender. And you acted like you really loved God. Now listen, mom and dad, my generation's being taught something else. We're being taught that God may not even exist. We're even being taught that we as young people ought not even to honor you as our parents. We're being taught that you only go around once in life, so get all the things you can out of it and go to every trash pile and collect them and use them. Now, mom and dad, listen, I need the truth on this matter. Verse 20, tell me why you had all that emphasis on God. Now, my question is this. What kind of generation produces the kind of kids that will come back later and ask the parents and the grandparents a question like that? What is it about them? Has your child gotten out of the home in such a devastated way with reference to biblical knowledge and Christian example that if they ever encounter something like Christian truth, do, would they tie that back into where I lived as their parent or where you lived as their parent? Would they come back to me and say, Daddy, I've run into this thing called Christianity at the secular university. I realize that when I was growing up, you were living that. I hadn't caught on yet. Can you tell me what there is about it? I, I, I want to go through four words that describe the parents and the grandparents who will produce children that will come back in our ungodly society and ask, Daddy, you better tell me a little bit more about the statutes and the testimonies and the judgments of God. Four words, and I'm going to go through them rather rapidly. I hope you'll make a note of them. I'll ask you to review them with me a little later. Word number one, these mamas and daddies, these grandparents before those children of verse 20, these mamas and daddies and grandparents lived a distinctive life. Not cloudy, not shadowy, not shady, not back and forth, not up and down a distinctive life. They were well-marked people. Let me give you three reasons the Bible says 
this, the life of these kind of parents were distinctive. Reason number one, they, they lived a life that attracted the next generation. The young people come back, it's in verse 20, when your son asks you. Can your children look at you? Can your grandchildren look at you? And as they look at all of the stuff that is pouring out on America, the trash piles, can they look at that and look at you and say, it's to mama and daddy, I want to go with the question. Did mom and daddy live a life so distinctive in the trash piles of, that went on during the 19 years of our church? They attracted the next generation. Very quickly, let me tell you a story. Some years ago, I was challenged in an unusual way by people, public people, who did not like what I was publicly saying. They first informed me that they were going to sue me for what I said. And I asked them, what is it that I said? And they told me, I said, and you're going to sue me for that? And they said, yes. I said, good. You know, lawsuits get a lot of publicity, and I'd like to make this message known wider. And by the way, that frightened the daylights out of them, so they backed off and they never sued me. But they then went to a local CBS station in our city and arranged for them to have a public debate with me, 20 of them and one of me. Of course, they didn't know God was on my side, not theirs. But I studied a little bit for this thing, and I want to just tell you something I found. I, I started reading some of the books that were available to our children like that, and I went to the libraries from which they could get that book, Taxpayer Library, and I found one little statement 20 years ago. I, I can't remember too well, but I, I don't think I'll ever forget this one until I forget everything else. And that was this, a little statement in the book that was teaching our children to look at parents. And here's what the statement said. Be kind to your parents. I like that. Be ye kind one to another. Honor your father and your mother. So that statement started, be kind to your parents. But they didn't put an exclamation point. They just put a comma. And they said, be kind to your parents, even though they don't deserve it. I looked at that and I said, boy, that's some ammunition. If I go on this debate with these guys and throw that at them, they're going to have to squirm a little bit because we all know that's insane. What was it about this generation? They were a, use my word if you will, and just say it out loud. They were a, and hurry up because I'm in a hurry. They, distinctive. They lived a distinctive life because they attracted the next generation. Number two, they focused the next generation. And we're out of focus today, friends. I, I don't need to tell you that, but look at verse 20, if you will. When your son asks you, and here's the focus, what mean the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments of the Lord? Now, I'll ask you a quick question before I move on. If your son or your daughter came back and said, Daddy, explain all of that to me, would you be able to say, okay, Lord, okay, son, I'll tell you what all of this means, what it's all about? Or, O-R, would you have to cop down and say, son, I'm sorry, you know, I'm just a church member. I haven't bothered to look into the real meaning of all of that. How do you expect me to explain that? Do you want to know who won the Super Bowl last year? Ask me that. No, wait, I shouldn't have said that. But you get the idea. Mom and dad, are you equipped to answer that? Are you equipped to focus on it? So it is a life that attracts the next generation. It is a life that focuses the next generation. But listen to this one. It is a life that informs the next generation. Verse 21, 
then you shall say unto your son. Better have the answer. Better have the answer. Uh, there are a lot of concerns today that our generation present is growing up basically biblically illiterate. Well, we ought to take more time. But I know you've got a good pastor and he's covered everything that I won't get to cover with you today. So number one, it is a what kind of life? Number two, and keep your Bible handy for this one if you will, it is a delivered life. D-E-L-I-V-E-R-E-D. Set free life. Look at it in verse 21. Because when the daddy begins to answer the son, what means all of this stuff about God? Then you shall say unto your son, verse 21, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. Now, if you don't understand that, you've got to keep in mind that the father and the son, all of this family, had suffered under Egyptian slavery, probably the most cruel slavery of all of human history, including the Roman slavery, the American slavery. This was a cruel slavery. But the daddy says to the son, we were bondmen under Pharaoh in Egypt. Now, say, how does that play in? And then the son, uh, then the father says, finish the sentence, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He set us free. He came to our life and he turned us loose. He got us out of the pit. Now, let me just make a quick application to that. Mamas and dads, listen. May I ask you a very private, personal question in a public way? What kind of bondage holds your life back from God? Are you in bondage to anything? Well, you can obviously think of some of the things that we deal with in addictions today. Alcohol, drugs, entertainment, finances, politics. You can go down the whole list. Have you been delivered from the bondage of those kind of evil things? So these mamas and dads were living what kind of, number one, a distinctive life. Number two, there's a book in the Bible that says in Colossians chapter one, you don't need to turn to it now. Listen to it carefully. And this is thankfully your testimony and mine. We give thanks unto the Father who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Is that your testimony? Or is darkness still gripping your mind and your heart and your schedule and your habits? If you're going to answer your son properly, mom and dad and grandparents, you need to have that delivered life. Do you ever share a testimony with your children about when God set you free to love him? Set you free from the habits, the schedules that were crushing you? That's one of the reasons you have an anniversary celebration. Because an anniversary celebration reminds us of what we've been taught in the past. Uses the present to take inventory and uses the plan of God to set us free for the future. So what kind of life do we have? You say, Alderman, you're repeating. That's right. There's a reason. I don't have time to tell you the story. What kind of, what kind of life do we have? Distinctive. And remember the three things that it does. What kind of life do we have? Delivered. Number three. These men and women lived a discerning kind of a life. 
Now listen to the story. Look at it in verse 23, if you will. Going to go back to the beginning of verse 23. When we were Pharaoh's servants, we were his slaves. But look at that part of verse 23 that says this. He brought us out that he might do what? Bring us in. Now I know a lot of people that are standing on the line and wondering, I would really like to be brought into that kind of victory in Christ. I'd really like to be the kind of mom and dad and grandparent that could be absolutely sure that as we deal with the future, my sons and my daughters will come back and say, tell us about the God thing. Tell us about all of these things about God that we saw you living, but we've run into some problem assimilating it into this modern generation. I ask simply, did you have the discernment to know that when God delivers us from bondage, it's because he loves you so much? Let me go back to the delivered from bondage. I know a lot of people who say when God walks into their bedroom, their living room, their family room, or their office, and says to you, you know you've got a real problem of being in bondage to a real destructive sin. And I am God and I've come to deliver you from it. Have you ever been one of those kind of individuals that just looked at God and say, God, keep your hands off that kind of bondage I really enjoy. In fact, the matter is, if you delivered from me, delivered me from that, I'd have to go back to my home and I'd have to pull all that stuff out of the closet and get rid of it. Or I'd have to go over to and get rid of that. And God, back off. I don't mind you doing something. I don't even mind you leading me to join that church that is radical with the Bible and Christ. But God, I don't mind you doing that. And I don't mind you letting the preacher and the Sunday school teacher stand up and teach about, but God, listen, don't expect me to give up what I'm doing in order to use that time to study your Bible on my own. Well, how did I get on that subject directly? It may be because God has a discerning spirit for your life and mine, and he brings us out of something in order that he may bring us into something. And a lot of us wonder, why is it that I can't get to that victory? I wanted to be delivered, or maybe I didn't, but God says, I want to bring you into something far, far better. I'm glad that God loves me enough to do that. So he has a delivered life, he has a discerning life, now he has a disciplined life. Verse 24, if you will. The Lord commanded us to do something. I don't know where you're going to go when we come out of this Bible study. But as you take a look at how God prepares for the future. And he says something like this. I want your life to be distinctive. I want it to be delivered. I want it to be discerning. I want it to be disciplined. And that's God's design. It's a beautiful design. I want you to come to the point, and I, and I know many of you have. You've come to the understanding that for God to get me where he wants me, he's got to deliver me from what controls me, unless he already is in control, and that's where he wants you. Now, in the closing moments of our service today, would you use this anniversary service to do something like this? Say, God, when my children come back and say, what means all of this about God? I will be able to say to them, verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do. That's the discipline life. You do it. You do it. You don't just sit around and think. 
you, you actually do it. And that's a beautiful thing. Verse 24, here are the intended results. Our good always. See it in verse 24? Our good always. Verse 24, preserve us alive. Verse 25, our righteousness. God's got a plan for us that is absolutely great. I appreciate you letting me take your time to share this kind of thing. It's a powerful aspect for life. And if you're wringing your hands and wringing somebody else's neck over the way the world is today, especially in America, let me tell you this. This Bible works. This Bible works. I challenge you to be the generation that lives distinctively, delivered, discerning, and disciplined. And you'll see the victory in all those children that lined up here, that ran the fields last night at your picnic pavilion. And all of those children that you reach through the camps that are not in churches, that have never heard the word love from a parent, that have never understood that there's truth versus a lie, that God's word works. Count on it. Count on it with joy and delight. That's the end of the Bible study. I want to say one other thing before pastor comes, closes. Thank you for being such a great congregation. Now, you say, you, you, you're playing without motions now by talking like we are somebody special. You are. You've got a great opportunity here. This is a truth that will motivate you through the next 19 years and motivate the church through the years to come. And you take that as you have been taught it so faithfully by Pastor Van and live it and love it. I'm going to lead in prayer and then Pastor Van will come and close the services. He knows best how to do Father, thank you for the joy of your word and your life. Thank you for the power of your truth. Thank you for the nature of the deliverance you gave to us when you unshackled us from the bondages under which we lived. And thank you that when you unshackled us, you brought us into the life of your design and your choosing. And I thank you in my Savior's name. Amen. Amen.